Good morning. Happy Easter to you all. I wonder if you would just take a moment to turn around, find someone who looks very confident, and just ask them, what's the best thing about Easter for you? What's the best thing about Easter for you? Now listen, listen, doesn't have to be super spiritual, just what's the best, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when I ask you, what's the best thing about Easter? And we'll come to you. Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, what's the best thing? If you just want to uh, grab a seat, and um, we just want to give you a chance, some of you at least, um, kind of intrigued to know what you might have said. Steve, I wonder if you'd do me a favor. Could you do the running? So, we're just intrigued to know what did some of you say? What's the, what do you most appreciate about Easter? What's the best thing about Easter Day? Just some of you. Tell us what you said. Or tell us what you heard, if it was good. And then pretend it was you. All right? So if you heard something that someone else said that was good, say it yourself. What did you say? I said I'm saved by the grace of God. Saved by the grace of God. Brilliant. Thank you. Someone else. What did you say? He knows my name. A fresh start. Born again. He knows my name. It's a fresh start. I've been born again. Someone else. What did you say? Thank you. I said he paid the debts for me, the debts that he didn't hold. Okay, the death couldn't hold the one who died. What else did you say? Morning, everybody. Happy Easter. You know, I got to do that anyway. Okay, sorry for a minute. Carry on. <laughs> um, the children over here said chocolate. Chocolate. It's all about chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say the love of God and his promises for us. The love of God and these promises for us. Thank you. And chocolate. We'll come back to chocolate. Anybody else? What did you say? There must be... Yeah. Jesus is alive. He's alive. Easter is about. He rose again from the dead. And because he is alive, we can live. We can face tomorrow. Excellent. Yeah. I think there's somebody down here. Claire. He's the king. He's, he's the great king. He's the king of glory. He's the king of glory, enthroned on high. He is indeed. Anybody else? This side's doing very well, by the way. Just saying. Anne, you did great, but this side's very good. So because he came back to life, nothing is ever the same ever again. Because he came back to life, nothing is ever the same again. Anybody else? He's alive forever. Thank you. And then finally, Ian. The best thing about Easter for me is that we get to see Neil wearing ridiculous shirts like this. <laughs> no, that's not the best thing about Easter. But it is, is a highlight for today, I've got to say. That, you can't see his shirt from the back. It is an optical illusion if you get close to Neil, by the way, today. Uh, for me, I think loads of things. It reminds me that, that there's a bigger story that we live in, folks. It's a much bigger story than you're reading about on the news or that other people would tell you. We're living a much bigger story, and that story makes sense to life. That story gives us hope. That story gives us joy. That story has changed my life, and I know it's changed your life. So it's, it's just a reminder of that amazing story that changes lives. It's a break. Today is a free day. It's a break. It's a holiday. Today, there's certain things you can't do. There's some shops you cannot spend money in today. 
everything is not the same because today we remember that Jesus rose from the dead. In a moment, we're going to let the children go through to junior church. And um, Morag, do you want to... Are you, are you going? You going? Okay, what are you doing this morning? Celebratory fun things, okay. Uh, does it involve the teenagers as well or is it... Okay, teenagers are with us this morning. That's great. Well, if you have children and they want to go through to junior church and they're under the age of... Um, under the age of 14 and under, if they want to go out to junior church, and you can take them to the building that's uh, in the car park there, and that's where our children's work happens. And just by the by, if you're visiting us and you want to know where the toilets are, they're also in that building, uh, just uh, over there as well. And uh, But we want to welcome you this morning. We're going to pray together on this Easter Sunday. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you that today we remember and rejoice in the truth that not only did you die for us, but you rose from the dead. That the final frontier was broken, that death itself could not hold you, but out of the grave you came and you live and reign today. Lord, thank you for the, the, the difference that that can make in our own lives. Thank you for the hope that that brings, that not only in this life, but in the life to come, that we have a life with you that for eternity. Thank you that it gives us hope that when things around us look bleak, Lord, there's a light that shines and the light is Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that when things look like they're at the end, we're in a cul-de-sac and we don't know where to go next. Thank you that because you broke through the grave, you give us new hope and new ways of dealing with the worst of situations that we might find ourselves in. Thank you this morning that together we can rejoice in the name of Jesus. Lord, we give you our thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to just spend a a few minutes looking with you at the whole story of Easter and and what it means to us and and the difference it can can make in our lives. I wonder, guys, if we can put the the slides up. Um, We'll use the sermon slides first and we'll just talk about notices like this. Thanks, Adam. You talked about all the good things about Easter, about the things that we believe about Easter, about what it means for Jesus to rise from the dead. You talked about the things it might mean for yourselves. We talk about the fact that at least today the sun shines (laughs) and it feels like something is lifted. It makes it a holiday time and we can relax into that sense of there's a whole new world for us. We come together and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. It's a life story. It's a story about Jesus, but as you said, it's a story about us. And it's a story about our whole lives for our whole lives. Easter Sunday makes sense of everything. 
But it's not always easy to try and explain how or exactly why that is the case. So let me start with a different question. Um, Can you push me forward? Oh, there we go. When was the last time you felt intimidated? Have a think about that for a minute and call some stuff out. When did you last feel intimidated? When did you feel like you were the one with the least power in a situation? Janet? Okay. So what Janet has just said is that there was a time at the bus stop yesterday where uh, she was waiting for a bus and the guy was standing at the bus stop next to her or alongside her and he started swearing and and seemed quite unpredictable and you had to walk away you felt intimidated you felt like the weaker person at that point because of what might happen someone else when did you last feel intimidated yeah Yvonne shout and I'll repeat actually no don't shout (laughs) yeah Steve's gonna come to you that's much easier Last week at Food Parcels, I had a gentleman um, who really was having a go at me, and he was really unpleasant. Whole crowd of people waiting to come in, and this man with a lot of aggro, and I felt very intimidated, not knowing what he was going to do. Okay, again, a kind of a potentially a, a, a violent situation, felt intimidated. Somebody else, when did you last feel intimidated? Or at the, there's Andrew at the back there. Or the one who had the least power. Intimidation might not be the right word for that, but that sense of, I don't know if I've been heard. Andrew. Pretty much every day with my self-confidence and self-worth. Okay. So that sense of every day, having to psych yourself up to go, actually, I've got a part to play here. Thank you, Andrew, for your honesty. Someone else, when did you feel last feel intimidated? I was... um, I'll give you a bit more time. I'd just be interested to hear... A couple of weeks ago, I was dealing with uh, a hospital because of my dad, and um, he was being moved from ward to ward to ward to ward. He's like, you know, the, the hospital were struggling with the number of patients they had, really, and he was being moved around. And it was a very common situation, and I'm not blaming anybody at all, except um, as, a, as a patient or as a, a family of the patient, every time trying to talk to the new staff on new ward and explain a game because I wasn't sure that the story had been told properly and every time not feeling that I'd been heard properly. Busy, busy people who were going, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know when they go, yeah, 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 yeah. And you feel, I'm not being listened, I'm not being heard. And I'm not, it's, hey, they're struggling, but it was that feeling of, I don't, I have no power here, <laughs> you know. And it was worse, really, because my mum had said, um, when you come, you'll be able to talk to them because they'll listen to you. Because she felt she had even less power at 85. That sense of being in a situation where you're not sure you're being heard, not you haven't got all the power. The situation where it's difficult to know how to have the conversation. I ask all of that simply this. Can you, you don't need to call it out, of course. 
But if you know how that feels, can you just hold that feeling for a little while? If you know, if you've been in that situation, just hold that feeling for a moment or two. Where you felt small, where you're not sure you've been heard. Because I want to tell you a story about a man called Simon Peter, who was one of the disciples of Jesus, who had to have a conversation in a situation like that. A situation where he didn't feel the strong one. In a situation where he felt the weak one, where he felt... It would have been easy for him to feel, I'm not being heard properly. He met a man called Cornelius. And he met him in a place called Caesarea. Caesarea was a place on the coast in Israel. And it was the place where it was the head of uh, the sort of center for finance, the center for tax. And it was a a grand place. It was a Roman place, really. It had been built by the Romans. It was named after Julius Caesar. It was a place where all the business happened. And if you were a Jewish fisherman, you would feel, this is not my place. Because the only time you would ever go would be to pay taxes. And Romans would ensure that they remind you that they're in charge, not you. They're the powerful ones, not you. You're just like ragtag bobtail, you know, urchin from North Israel, a fisherman. Who do you think you are in Caesarea? Romans wore uniform and you know what Romans used to wear. They marked, were marked out always as being the ones with power just by looking you to tell that these were powerful men. Cornelius was a powerful man. He was a centurion. He was in charge of many Roman soldiers. You don't get to be like that, except at least you can portray confidence. If you're leading up to 100 other people, you've got to look like you know what you're doing, even if you don't. He was a powerful man in a powerful place. And he was a powerful man in the most powerful empire in the world. But the other thing about Cornelius is this. He was a good man and he was looking for answers. He was a good man. It's easy, isn't it, when you're at the bottom of the pile... To think that everybody who's above you are ratbags. Do you know what I mean? If you were a Jewish fisherman, it would be easy for you to assume that everybody in Roman authority were just, they're always looking for a reason to put us down. It was not always the case, is it? Sometimes you, you meet powerful men, powerful women, and they're good. And Cornelius was good. He gave his own money away to the poor. And I, I, I kind of want to ask the question, and I, I don't know whether you're going to be willing to tell me an answer, but I don't really want it to just be rhetorical. Why, why do good people give money to causes that look after the poor? Why, why would you do that? Why would you give money to help the poor? 
like I said, I'd, I'd like you to actually think about that for a minute and give me an answer. But why? Why do you do that? What sort of person does that? I mean, they're good people, but why? Okay, Val. Maybe it'll save them. Okay, you want to make a difference. You want to save them. Any other reasons why you do that? Yeah, Claire. You might have been poor yourself at one point. Yeah, you might have come from that background. You might have been poor and you understand. Claire, did she say what you were going to say? It's annoying, isn't it? It's really annoying. Really, Janet, you don't know how annoying that is. Anybody else? So you might understand it. You might want to make a difference. Why do good people give money to the poor? Any other reasons? They might feel guilty what they've got. They might feel guilty because of what they've got. Are there any other reasons? This isn't a trick question. I, I, there isn't a right answer, by the way. I'm not looking for Jesus. <laughs> Maybe to be on show, on display, look what I've done. They might, they might want to do that. They might want to be thought well of. There's right at the back. Yeah, we've got some right at the back. Just to be kind. Just to be kind, yeah. No other reason. And I think there was somebody else. There was Charlie right at the back. He thought he could buy God's favour. Yeah, maybe he was trying to rack up God's favour. Maybe he had this inkling. This Roman soldier was an interesting kind of guy because if you looked at him, you would have said, you've got everything going for you. You don't really need anything. You've got money. You've got respect. You've got power. People are grateful to you because you do good for them. You give them stuff. But there's something going on in Cornelius. And he wants more. Because the other thing that happens with Cornelius is Cornelius prays. I may have said this once before to you, but I remember reading um, a book years ago. It was called The Inner City God. And it was, it was very good. It was about um, what people in inner city Birmingham believed. It was like just a, it's like a survey, really. And um, one of the questions was, do you pray? And loads of people on this estate in Birmingham said, yeah, we pray. And then the next question was, do you pray to a God that you believe hears and answers your prayer? And someone had written back and said, no, we just pray to the ordinary God. <laughs> I think loads of people pray. People pray when they get into a mess. I think people pray sometimes when they're not really even sure who they're praying to. But it's like, you know that sort of feeling, and I guess we've all had it, where some days you just go, oh God. And it's not blasphemous. It's just that heart cry of, oh God. Cornelius had prayed to a God that he barely knew. And he'd had spiritual experiences that he couldn't really explain. 
things that happened to him that were weird and that he would never tell his Roman sort of companions because they would just think he was bonkers. But Cornelius has had these experiences. And as a result of them, these strange experiences, he'd heard of this man called Simon Peter, who is a preacher now. And he knew that he was going to come to his house. Now, Simon Peter had had his own experiences and he had his own barriers to get over because um, he's Jewish and the idea of going into a Roman's house was not, was not acceptable. And it was not acceptable on uh, religious grounds and it wasn't acceptable on cultural grounds. And his, Peter's friends would have thought him somehow like a traitor, letting the side down somehow. So Peter had his own bur- sort of like barriers to get over, but Peter knocks at the door of Cornelius. Can you imagine how it would feel? You're the underdog. You're the one with no power. And you're knocking on the door of a Roman centurion who, by the way, probably, f- f- I don't know, less than three years ago, it was people like Cornelius who'd killed Jesus. And you knock on the door. And you ask Cornelius, tell me what's happened to you. And Cornelius tells him that he's been having these strange spiritual experiences and he can't explain them. But he knows they mean something. And Peter says... Let me tell you our story. Because our story might explain the two things that you're searching for. What does it mean to be good? And how do you make sense of this spiritual yearning that's in your own heart? And I'm going to invite Yvonne to come and read a bit of the Bible from Acts chapter 10 that tells the story of what Peter said to Cornelius on that day. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize that it's true that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message that God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. 
he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one who God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all those who heard the message. Peter begins to tell Cornelius their story, his story. Cornelius is a way of understanding how the world works. And Peter, this Jewish disciple of Jesus, who's been through the Good Friday experience, who's been through the Easter Sunday experience, who's been through the day of Pentecost experience, who's become a preacher, he goes to a powerful man and he says this, our story is completely alien to you, but you are welcome to join our story. In a sense, one of the interesting things about it, and I haven't got time to, to, to do it in any great detail, is Peter didn't change it because he's speaking to a Roman. He just tells the story of what God has done and says to Cornelius, I've got a better story for the way of the world. Do you want to join it? What was the story? Well, the first thing he said is, God's made peace. Jesus Christ is the Lord of all. Now, when we hear that, it sounds like church talk. But when... Cornelius heard it. He had a Lord that he gave all his allegiance to, and it was Caesar. And what Peter says to Cornelius is, there's a new king. Claire said, when I asked about uh, Easter, and one of the things that Claire said was, there's a new king. There's a new ruler. And the first thing that Peter says to Cornelius is, you, a centurion in the Roman Empire, in the Roman army, the greatest empire we have ever, ever seen. God's made peace with us and there's a new Lord. There's a new king. And you are welcome. There's no favoritism, Peter says. It's not like God has some people he really wants on his side and others. There's no favoritism. You are welcome into this story. You who feel like you're always on the edge. You that feel like you're always wondering. You that are, fear, uh, are wondering, well, what about these things that happen? You that want the world to be different. And so you're good and you give and you help as many people as you can because you're a good person. You're welcome to be part of this new story. God didn't have favorites. And then he outlines the story of Jesus, and it's this God doesn't have favorites because we're all broken. And when Jesus was on earth, Peter says, Jesus healed all the folks who were broken. The ones who were so sick, 
that they had nowhere to go. The ones who were so mentally tormented that they didn't know how they could cope with life. Jesus healed them because Jesus seemed to love being with people who know they're broken. The only people that Jesus seemed to get into a bit of a ruck with <laughs> were the ones who kept saying, I'm not broken, I'm not broken, I'm not broken, I'm fine. But to whoever said, you know what? I'm as broken as can be. Jesus seems to love spending time with them and he starts to put them together again. Jesus was broken on the cross. Peter says, they hung him on the cross. Now, the Romans were nothing if not efficient. And crosses were just like killing machines. They, they had two advantages. It wasn't the most efficient, because actually just chopping someone's head off is much more efficient. But putting them on the cross, that's a really powerful sign of how we will trample down any rebellion. And uh, Peter says, that's what they did to Jesus. He was broken. But God raised him from the dead. That tombstone rolled away. And then he said, Jesus broke bread with us. He came and he ate with us. And we knew that he was with us. And at the end of the day, Jesus will judge the brokenness of our world. Good people like Cornelius give to the poor because they say, essentially, it shouldn't be like this. You that volunteer in the food bank, you know it shouldn't be like this. And there's part of you that is frustrated because you're having to do it. It shouldn't be that in the 21st century, we have so many people going, I haven't got enough food, I haven't got enough money to feed myself and to keep the house with the electric on, I need help. We shouldn't be like that. And what Peter says to Cornelius is this, there will be a day when all the brokenness will be judged and healed. And the final thing he says to Cornelius is this. He forgives the broken. The problem for most of us, you see, in church we all scrub up quite well, don't we? We put on floral shirts and boy do we look good. <laughs> Steve said to me as the service began, he said, it's like one of those... Uh, magic eye shirts and if you look really clearly you can see Jesus <laughs> but we do scrub up well if, if you don't know people very well you would be forgiven for looking around this congregation and going these people have got it together haven't they and you know what the worst thing is if you're the one that really conscious of your own brokenness you can look around and go What's wrong with me? Except this. There's not one of these people in any of these pews 
who would not say, I am deeply conscious of my own brokenness. And although from time to time I might do good, I know that my all my giving away of money to the poor, and it is good to do, don't stop doing it. I can't do deals with God. I wish I could. I wish if I gave away more, I'd feel better about myself, but I don't. I wish I could do a deal with God that said, God, what do you really want me to do so I can match up here? And Peter says to a good man, all you need to know is there's forgiveness for you. No more deals. No more pretending. No more fearing that you're the imposter. There's just forgiveness. On that earliest Easter Sunday morning, the empty tomb had a stone that had been rolled away and they begin to get glimpses of Jesus. You know, sometimes people say, maybe it was just all made up. Maybe we're just fooling ourselves. Maybe this is just a nice story. I've got to tell you that if, if, the earliest Christians had tried to make this up, they would have made up a better story. This is not an absolute brilliant story if you're making it up. Because initially it feels uncertain and things only become clear over time. It's not written in the sky. It doesn't happen in Rome. It happens in the back end of the empire. You wouldn't make a story like this up. The first people who become the witnesses are women. And with respect, in the first century, you would not put the words of the fact that Jesus is alive into the mouth of a woman because everybody knew in first century Israel that they were the weakest, least heard, least powerful. You wouldn't make this story up in this way. But the grave stood empty. I'm coming into land, but I want to tell you the story of how it happened. And then one last thing I want to say. There's a guy who a few years ago um, tried to tell the story of um, that early, earliest Sunday as though it was set in Leeds <laughs> in our day. Because when we read the story about women and gardens and tombs, it can feel like it could have happened on Mars. It's so far away from our own existence. But of course, it was just their everyday stuff. Well, this is the truth. Jesus resurrected in our everyday stuff. It began with an earthquake. Things shook. And it felt like the ground moved. No one knew what it meant. But it just felt things are not, not the same. And Mary went to the empty tomb to the equivalent of a funeral director <laughs> to find the body. And when she gets there, 
she realises the body's not there. Now, if you go, if you leave a loved one in a funeral director's overnight and the next day you go and the body's not there, you're going to assume someone's stolen the body. You're going to be outraged. You're going to be hurt. You're going to assume that someone's stolen the body. But then... The disciples join them because they've heard that the, there is no body, that the, the, the casket is empty. And on the way, the angel appears to the women and says, he's not here, he's risen. And Jesus meets them and they think he's a gardener. And then he says, Mary, it's me. Later that day on the road to Emmaus, they pick up a stranger and he walks with them and tells them the story. And then he appears to all of the disciples and says, look, it's me. What happened to those early disciples, I think is what happens to all of us and it's this. You get glimpses. You get glimpses that there's more. You get glimpses that there's a bigger truth. You get glimpses of Jesus. And you can't always understand exactly what it all means. And it feels like you're in a bit of a fog at times at the beginning. And it feels like I'm not sure how all of this fits together. And I'm not sure about the truth of it even. But then over time, you look more and more and more deeply and you realize it's true. He's alive. And there's some of you that have been following Jesus for months. And there are days when you're following Jesus in the earliest months when it can feel a little bit like, I'm not sure about all of this. I'm not sure what it all means. And there's some of you that have been following Jesus for five, six decades, seven decades. And the more you look at him, the more you realize that he's alive and that everything that he said about himself is true. And the things that you struggle with the most, he comes to meet you. Simon Peter carried a message to an important centurion who was a good man, and said to the good man, there's more. There's more. And you can, you're welcome to join our story. And Simon Peter carried a story and didn't change it, but went wherever he could to say, I've got a better story for you. And you're welcome to be part of it. So to you that aren't sure, what I want to say this morning is come into the story a little bit more. To you that are sure, go deeper, go further in and further on because there's more. And to you 
in a moment or two when we leave this building, you carry a better story to those around you. It is a better story that Jesus is alive. I'm going to ask the musicians to come back. We're going to take a moment just to be still. just ask you if you would just to close your eyes and The Easter story is the story of a God who does not have favorites. So you are welcome. The Easter story is about a God who made peace with you. So you don't need to be nervous about what you might think God thinks of you. He loves you. The Easter story is about a new king who rules. And you can trust him. The Easter story is about a God who in Jesus came and was broken. That we might be healed. You can receive. The Easter story is about a God who will judge and put around everything so you can live with hope. And He's a God who forgives us. So, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, whatever you've thought, whatever you've not done, forgiveness is offered to you and me so receive the good news of Jesus being alive come Holy Spirit and rest on as we pray as you did with Cornelius come and fill us again come and do a new work of grace in our lives come and bring that story back to life for us Lord Jesus may we see you in new ways may we glimpse you and understand more about you Holy Spirit come and bring peace into our troubled souls Lord Jesus come and send your Holy Spirit upon those who are fearful may they know your security Holy Spirit come and fill us when we feel weak with your power come Holy Spirit fill us so that we might know you better. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. In the name of Jesus.